At this point, you might be asking yourself, Pastor Mike's been in 1 Peter 3, 1-7 for a while, and you might be asking the question, wait a second, he never slows down this slow. Is he trying to make a point? And the answer to that is no. I'm, I don't have an agenda. I do think that sometimes uh, we come to sections in Scripture that are important for us to understand in light of our culture and in light of our, uh, our circumstances that need to be explained and dug in on. It, 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 the ladies would probably all affirm this, that I haven't been hard on you, have I? Over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've attempted to be an equal opportunity offender uh, and making sure to call the men to evaluate their own hearts through this. Uh, but at the same time, everybody in here knows, you look around at our world, you see the problems that I see, right? You understand marriages are falling apart. People do not stay married very long. Or those that don't get married just kind of shack up together and they try to figure things out. The world is just telling us the wrong message of what a home should look like. And so when I come to a passage like this, I'm not a uh, topical preacher, but I'm going to take advantage of every word, if that makes sense, because I really want to address some of these issues. I, I see them in the counseling room, and I see them in uh, what we see on Facebook and social media. It shows everything. So we know what the world's telling you about marriage. We know what the world's telling you about your roles. And I want to make sure that I get this clear and, and, and make sure I explain exactly what Scripture says. So I am spending a little bit more time on this. Please bear with me. Those that are single, it is not a time to check out. It's a time to really evaluate and look because there's many, many of these attributes and things that are mentioned in here that are, are, are called on for everybody. And we'll see that today when we talk about this concept of gentleness. So... Uh, please bear with me and let's keep looking at these passages and, and really understand what it takes to have a Christ-exalting home because that's what we want, don't we? We want houses that exalt Christ. We live in a, a difficult world that and, and trials come our direction and the only way we can endure them is if we view the world and God's sovereignty over it properly. We must see God as a kind Father who walks us through difficulties. He loves us, He watches over us, and your roles are part of His way to work in your life to show off His glory. And these roles are important. We must all abide in Christ in order to do it. We must depend upon Him. We must understand that He loves us. We must embrace our identity in Christ as fellow heirs. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're an heir whether you're a male or a female, you are an heir of Christ. And you must understand this relationship and your identity in order to survive in this world that is tough at times. The relationships we have been zeroing in on here is the marriage relationship, as I mentioned. And we've asked and answered a couple of questions. We've gotten through about five questions so far, and we're going to ask a few more today and then move into the guys next week. But let's look at these. What is the foundation for a Christ-exalting home? Simple answer, the gospel. Likewise, it starts that way in three. Second, we saw who gets the privilege of submission and suffering like Jesus? Who gets this privilege of submission and suffering like Jesus? And again, this is a different way of thinking of suffering, isn't it? 
when we think of suffering, most of the time we think of uh, that's not a privilege, that's a duty, or uh-oh, here it comes, I've got to suffer. But this is a God-given privilege that is given in order to glorify Christ and show Him off. And so these ladies are given this, and he says, Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by your behavior. And that is the Christian wives who have unbelieving and also believing husbands. Through their God-given role, women have opportunity to share the gospel. You have those same opportunities in all the relationships where you have an authority over you. You can do the same thing. You can show off what Christ showed off to the world. You understand that Christ submitted himself to the Father, didn't he? Does that make Christ less than the Father? No, it doesn't. He submitted himself to the Father, and in so doing that, he exalted the Father, and therefore God was glorified through it. Submission to authority is not a dirty word. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity to glorify God. It is my prayer that no man in this room fits the category disobedient to the word. That's my prayer. Hopefully, we're not talking to your wife, pleading with her to submit to you anyway so that you will get converted. But if you are an unbelieving man in this room today, I want to call you to repentance. Call you to an understanding that only through Christ's death and your turning from your sin and trusting in Him can you be saved. And ladies, if you have a husband that is like this and he's not here today, I would strongly encourage you to evaluate these passages and realize you have opportunity to share Christ to them. And for the believing men in the room, the standard is high for you. You must love your wife as Christ loves the church, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 5. So then the next question we asked was, what about mutual submission? Uh, a concept that's mentioned by a lot of people today, that in Ephesians chapter 5, people say that that means that wives should submit to their husbands, but also husbands should submit to their wives. That passage does not mean that. We talked about that. In fact, it's the opposite. There were three roles that were mentioned, wives to husbands, children to parents, and servants to masters. And the illustration Paul used for wives to husbands was that the wife is compared to the church and the husband is compared to the Lord. So now the question is obvious. Does the church submit to the Lord? The answer is absolutely. But then the obvious question, if mutual submission is implied by that passage, does the Lord submit to the church? No, that's an obvious no. The Lord is the Lord of the church. He's the head of the body. And we all submit to Him, correct? So obviously that passage is not talking about mutual submission. The next question we talked about is, what is the purpose of the wife's submission to authority? What is the purpose? And we saw it in verse 1. It says it in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, so that even if some of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one. So the reason they submit is so that the husband can get saved. So he can get saved. 
So when you submit, you show off the gospel. And when you show off the gospel, it convicts the heart of the man. And the man then does what? He wants to repent. He'll turn. God can use that to convict the man. And all of us men in the room that have wives that submit to us when we are disobedient to the word, we all say, Amen, right? You get it, don't you? Any man ever been convicted by a wife that submits to her even when he's being a turkey? Absolutely. It's very convicting, isn't it? It throws you to the ground, causes you to see how much you need God. It's very important that a person's conduct can be an apologetic for the gospel. And we'll see that as we go along in 1 Peter. Next, we began to answer this question. What does the apologetic life of the wives look like? What does it look like? Well, verse 2 tells us. It explains it. It says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The apologetic life of a wife is one that expresses respect to their husbands and pure or innocent behavior. We talked about how respect is required and not because of his felt needs. It's because it shows the heart of a wife that knows and loves Jesus. In other words, guys, look, it's not about getting respect because I deserve it. It's, I need a glimpse of the gospel because I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I need to be reminded of the gospel. And the way I see that is when my wife fulfills the role that God's given her. And I see Jesus and I say, my need is that my sinful heart needs to be changed. Not because I have some felt need of respect. Men, get over yourself. At the same time, women, this is your opportunity to show Jesus to us. We need it. At the same time, it's a way for you to exalt your Lord. So, when we show respect and we have pure, holy conduct, this holiness and respect is observable. The men see it. And the effect of the gospel on their life is transformative. Ultimately, we saw a wife's behavior could have a huge effect on their husbands. This brings us to the next question. Our next question. What must the wife be focused on? What must the wife be focused on? Other than the obvious, the gospel, right? Let's move on to another section, another verse, another concept here. It's found in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Let's read that. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So all the ladies in the room that have gold on did this. And oh no, my braids, take them out. Is that what it means? It could actually be, do not let your adorning be putting on clothes. Well, obviously it doesn't mean don't put clothes on, right? 
that's how you could translate it. So obviously it means something different. It doesn't mean that you don't have any braids or any of those things ever. But let's dig in a little bit because I just love this word adornment. Adornment. It's mentioned, or a form of it is mentioned three times in these next three verses. It says, let not your adornment be. The word adornment is actually cosmos. Cosmos in the Greek. Now, when you hear cosmos, what do you think? World or universe, right? So, let not your world be, or let not your universe be. But the concept is this, that in where we get our concept of world and universe comes from this idea that everything is orderly, that it's set in order, it's, it's beautiful, and it's well-established and arranged. That's what the word cosmos means here. So it could literally be translated orderly arrangement of things or the orderly universe as well as world adornment, adorning. So you could translate this, let your orderly arrangement of things not be this. Instead, it should be something else. What we adorn ourselves with is what we use to make ourselves look beautiful. What do we do to make ourselves look beautiful? How we make ourselves look beautiful is another word for adorning ourselves. So how do we seek to reveal our beauty? How do we reveal our beauty to the world? By the way, this is directly applicable to the wives... But I believe this concept applies to almost everybody, doesn't it? What are we trying to do to show off our beauty? These verses, by the way, are so contrary to our world. The world says beauty is all about what? Externals. So what I did was I did a Google. I had to be careful, right? You, you do a Google and you might find out something really bad. Uh, beauty tips from the world for women... To make their men notice them. Here you go. Tip one. Expose your lips. Expose your lips. That was the first tip. Show your lips off. It was a picture of really red lips with lots of lipstick. Show him your eyes. That's how you make yourself beautiful to your men. Wear your hair down. What if we like it up? Wear a hat. Work out. Work out. Steam your face regularly. Steam your face regularly. And the last tip from the world on how to look beautiful for your husband. Wax your eyebrows. Beloved, this is the world. This is what the world says. Ladies should adorn themselves. This is how you should adorn yourself. Do you see the irony of verse 3? It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. God's Word says it's not about your outward externals. To be beautiful is about what's going on inside. 
What should the ladies be focused on in order to reveal their true self, their true beauty? There's so much application here implied, isn't there? Now think about this, men and ladies. Worldly women are like seeker-sensitive churches. Worldly women are like seeker-sensitive churches. You know what seeker-sensitive churches are, right? Well, they have all kinds of neat fleshly attractions for people to get them to come to church in order to get them there. They give away motorcycles. They do all kinds of great things to attract the fleshly desires in a human. Maybe they make it look like a rock band and with a light show and everything's about the fleshly attraction. You know, there's a major problem with that, though. What happens? The way you get the people there is how you keep them there. So in order to keep them there, you have to give them what? More show. And it's got to be greater than the next show. The next one has to be better than the last one. It's got to be more and more and more. There's always an edge to get the flesh to be attracted, correct? Ladies, that's exactly what happens if you buy into the world's thinking. If you attract a man by his flesh, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to keep him by his flesh. If that's the thing that gets our attention, it will ha- that will be the thing that we have to be kept by. So men, let me just give you a warning here, especially if you're a single man. Men... If your primary thought is what you see with your eyes, you're in trouble. Let me tell you why. Because this 49-year-old man, it's about to be 50, we get old. And as much as I would like to say that I look the same as when my poor wife married this man, I don't. I'm gray. My teeth are starting to get old and fall out. If my wife was attracted to to me for my looks, she's in a lot of trouble in about 30 years. (laughs) Beloved, we must be about showing our true beauty. It's not about the externals. It's about what's going on in the heart. Christians must be different because we know the gospel. I'm not saying physical attraction plays no part in marriage. However, physical attraction must be calibrated by a heart committed to Christ. Give me a heart committed to Jesus and it makes the eyes a little clearer. They understand things better. The problem is our modern evangelical culture is we are 90% outward externals and 10% inward beauty. We need to change. We need to look at passages like this and realize what God is calling ladies to do and realize that God is calling ladies to be something different than what the world's saying to us. So when we come to a passage like today's passage, we can't even understand it without adding qualifiers. 
I shouldn't have to list out 30 qualifiers. It's okay to braid your hair this way. It's okay to put a gold earrings. Your earrings can be this long or this big or... Come on, that's not even the point, is it? Should we be measuring? Oh, your skirt's a little too high. It's a too little, too low. I see too much skin. If we're doing that, we've missed the whole point of the passage, haven't we? It's not about that. Notice Peter breaks it down into not on externals, but rather on internals. Not on externals, but rather on internals. Notice he says in verse 3, not let your adorning be external. It shouldn't be about that. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Instead, Peter focuses on internals. He says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, is very precious. Isn't, aren't these beautiful verses? They're, they're glorious verses that describe a godly, Christ-exalting woman. Throughout the history of the world, women have sought to present themselves to the world as beautiful by what they wear or what they do with their external appearances. That's what it's always been about. This is not new to the 21st century. Peter was talking to people that would struggle with the same thing. Do you think that it's changed? It hadn't changed any. However, this type of adornment is often fruitless, isn't it, ladies? You understand it's vanity, isn't it? When you do this, you get into this downward spiral of never feeling satisfied with the way you look. Isn't that the way it is? And the world's constantly saying, you need to do this to your body. Or do Botox. Or do this. All these weird things that they tell us to do to our bodies and to our looks. So that outwardly we will measure up or somebody will like us. What does that do? It destroys our image-bearing beauty that God has given us. Oh, ladies, listen to me. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. External beauty is fleeting, trendy, and eventually impossible. We live on a cursed planet. One out of every... One person dies and returns to dust. Peter gets this. And he says, don't focus on that. Does this mean pure and respectful behavior is missing if a lady braids her hair or wears gold jewelry or puts on a dress? The answer is no. That's not true. But having these things does not corrupt us but it can distract us. And it can distract men too. It is the love of these things or the desire to be accepted for wearing these things that reveals our sinful hearts. Do y'all hear me? Listen, listen closely. If we dress to be accepted, then we've missed the whole point, haven't we? 
how a man looks at you. It, it must not be about how your shape is. It can't be that. You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But when I say as a pastor, you are beautiful, I'm not talking about your shapes. I have a rule. I try to keep my eyes on your eyes. I'm talking about the inward part of your heart that loves Christ. You are beautiful, ladies. Don't fall into the lies of the world. This means, ladies, you must prioritize internal change more than external appearances. Oh, and hey, we got too many young ladies growing up in our church. We have so many young ladies. Ladies, listen to me. I'm begging you, pre please teach these young ladies as they grow up that they don't have to wear all these clothes to be attractive to the men. It's not about that. Please, we've got to stand up in this area. We must be different. This means if you feed your fleshly lust men with our pornographic culture, you will train your minds and your eyes to be attracted to the wrong kind of beauty. Do you understand you're going to miss it? Bible is not saying we should not take care of our bodies. It doesn't say that. Uh, discipline is good, a little bit of good. <laughs> Why? Because we can serve God better. We can honor Him. But I can tell you that we all need to be careful of the vanities of life. We also need to be asking the question, Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I wearing what I'm wearing? Why am I pursuing what I'm pursuing? Those are questions we all should be asking. When you dress to come to church, when you dress to go to work, what is the question you're asking yourself? If you're asking the question, how can I be the most attractive person that walks into the room? You've got a problem. If you're asking the question, how can I glorify Christ the most when I dress? Ah, oh, now you're starting down the right road. It's not about attracting men's eyes by what you wear. It's about attracting men by who you are. Showing the inner beauty of a God-honoring soul. The key for all of us is who are we seeking to please? God is our audience. It's an audience of one. That's the one we dress for. The whole section is about looking like Jesus through our circumstances. If we get sucked in to seeking the favor of the world, we will forget that looking like Jesus is more about heart attitude than outward externals. Interestingly, I thought on this, oh man, this is like one of those that I was like, wow, this is great. Listen, interestingly, when God made Adam and Eve, they were naked 
and unashamed. They were naked and unashamed. And he called them very good. No braided hair, no gold earrings, and no clothes. At this point, we might be saying, well, why? Is it because they looked good on the outside? Well, I would argue that that's not really the main thing that made him and us look beautiful. Now, don't get me wrong. When Adam saw Eve the first time, he went, whoa, man. Yes. But what made him very good? What made Adam very good? What made Eve very good? They were image bearers. They were image bearers. So what is being an image bearer? Because we hear this conversation all the time. You're an image bearer. I'm an image bearer. What does that mean? Well, here's something. It means that we resemble God. We are image bearers. Look over at Genesis 1.27. Look at it. We are image bearers. Let's start in verse 26, rather. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. Okay, now at this point, we might think, well, that means they were absolutely beautiful. To be an image bearer means that they, on the externals, were absolutely beautiful because they had the image of God. But there's one major problem. God's not a man. God's not a human. I would say that the image bearing has nothing to do with the external at all. It has everything to do with the communicable attributes that man is able to display. He's able to love like God. He's able to have relationship like God. It's not about, if we're an image bearer, we bear an image of God. We're like God in that we're able to display the communicable, the attributes that God is able to give to us. We can do that. It's not about the external. It's not about that. God is not a man. He became a man. Jesus became a man. But even him, they said he had no stately former majesty that we would look upon him. We all have these pictures. But if Jesus showed up here, we'd probably all be going, Who are you? It's not about your hair color or your skin tone or your eyes or any of that that makes you an image bearer. What makes you an image bearer is that God's communicable attributes are given to us and we can have a relationship with God. But after the fall, beloved... After the fall, all of those communicable attributes were distorted. And the only one we can love truly is who? Ourselves. Our resemblance to God after the fall took a dive. We are image bearers, but we think way too high of ourselves, don't we? 
Beloved, this is so important. So when God says, focus on the internal, he's saying, focus on your heart, which is what can look like the image bearer that you are. Not that external stuff. Notice he says it, Peter, back to 3, 4. The internal, he says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I find it so ironic. What the world considers beautiful, the Bible says avoid focusing on. Don't put your attention on that that much. And what the world says is ugly, gentle and quiet spirits, the Bible says pursue. Look at what the ladies should seek to adorn themselves with. This beauty is what it's all about. Again, the emphasis is on the hidden person of the heart. It's all about what's going on in the inside, not how we look on the outside. Interestingly, the heart is described as the place beauty can be imperishable. That is such an... That's so cool. Beauty can be imperishable where? Inside the heart. Why? Because the heart and the soul live on forever. Whereas the outward body decays and gets put in the ground and dies. The heart... A heart committed to biblical values is an eternal beauty. That's what you should be pursuing. Just for those ladies that are single, you say, well, that's what I'm pursuing and the guys don't notice me. Well, you don't need those guys then. Run from those guys. Do you hear me, ladies? I want to encourage you. We have some godly single ladies in this room. Godly single ladies. They just love God. You see it. You know it. These men aren't attracted to you for the wrong reasons. Guess what? Run. And men, I'm just being honest. Maybe we need to check our hearts. Just being honest. So what is this imperishable beauty? He says it. A gentle and quiet spirit. Whew. Now, if this doesn't fillet everybody in the room, then I've missed my calling. Look over at Matthew chapter 5. This word gentle as an adjective is only mentioned three times in the New Testament as an adjective. Very interesting. Look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 5, it states, as one of the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are the meek, or here, same word, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Doesn't that go contrary to the way we think? Favored by God are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Boy, that goes totally opposite of what the world says, right? Because the gentle, those are the ones that, what? Get run over with in this world. But God says His favor is on them and they will inherit the earth. The gentle, same word. Beautiful, isn't it? 
Look over at Matthew 11, 29. 11, 29. Oh, this word. Guess, guess who uses this word? Jesus. Look at this. What did we find out in 1 Peter chapter 3? We're supposed to look like who? Jesus. Ladies, who are you supposed to look like? Jesus, right? Guess what? Look at 11.29. Jesus said these words. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who's described as gentle, ladies? Jesus. He describes himself as gentle. I love one of my uh, lexicon's definition of this word gentle. Listen to it. It's great. This is one to write down. Listen. To not be overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Write that. Get it. This is one to, to put to thought. Not to be overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Doesn't that go contrary to the way the world thinks? In other words, humble. Not about you. Not about your own self-importance. In a culture and in a society that says self-image is what it's all about, that's contrary, isn't it? How about this one? Do you have a hard time getting away from the mirror? Like, oh, maybe that hair is not quite right. Let me, ooh. Is it possible that we're too interested in our own self-importance? How we look. I know, painful, right? I'm sure glad Jesus wasn't so consumed with himself that he couldn't lay down his life for me and you, right? Can you imagine what happened to him on the cross, beloved? He was stripped naked and nailed to a cross. Do you think he had it right? He got it, didn't he? I can be stripped naked, mocked and abused. Why? Because my, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Why? Because he loved us. This is true beauty, isn't it? This is what we want to be adorned to look like. It's countercultural. It's counterworld. It's counter everything, isn't it? And notice what God's opinion is of this in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 4, which in God's sight is very precious. Sisters, 
that there was one opinion that matters, it's this. It's God's opinion that matters. I know we're told that if somebody is not attracted to me, I'm no good. That is garbage. Don't buy it. It's a lie. All that matters is that God sees your internal gentleness, purity, quiet spirit, seeking to honor God with your life. We got through one more verse. Man, I just, I want to challenge you. I know I'm tough on you. If you haven't noticed, I use a baseball bat on you guys. I'm much more gentle, try to be more gentle with the ladies. I just want to encourage men, all men, husbands of your wives, promote the internal beauty. Acknowledge the internal beauty in your spouse. Let me tell you, guys. Listen, this is not a time for you to promote and exalt my wife or anything like that because this is the Spirit of God that works. But as I walked away from my wife today at the hospital, she sat there with her sister facing the reality of pain that could come, tears streaming down her eyes. I said, I married a beautiful woman. One of the most beautiful women in all the world. Because as she aches over her own pain that she went through three years ago, she's sitting there comforting and loving somebody else. This is beauty. Father, you are a kind and gracious God. Your love is beyond our comprehension. And Jesus, we are reminded of these words that your yoke is light, your burden is light, your yoke is easy, for you are gentle and lowly of heart. We come to you. We recognize that we aren't like this all the time. We recognize that we often value the things we shouldn't value and our eyes are trained in the wrong way. We beg you, Father, please change our hearts. Recalibrate our eyes. Help us to see true beauty and exalt you with our lives. God, please help us. Be pleased with us, Father.
be pleased with our ladies. Oh, God, work in these ladies and help them exalt you with their lives. Help us men to live with our wives in an understanding way, to exalt you and to love them like you love us. We praise your name. We thank you for your word. And we ask that you be exalted in all that we do and say today. We pray this in Jesus' name.